Alright, Noah Trainer, how do you uh, relax to try and try and de-stress in this really stressful world? I buy crypto. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm trading all day, um, especially especially when I'm on set. You know, if I'm making a movie, um, I really like I have the director credit on my short films, but really Evan does most of the work. I'm I'm trading crypto to fund the production. You know. Um, I think directors should also... That isn't stressful? That de-stresses you? Yeah, that de-stresses me. I'm just so good at it, you know? I'm buying, I'm selling my Stratonites, my Killers. Are you, you, uh, know, are you and here. Sam Bakeman-Fried good, good pals? Uh, no, no. No? I, I am his greatest rival. <laughs> um, you know, I, I went to a seminar when I was a child uh, hosted by Jordan Belfort, and uh, he taught me how to sell a pen. Um, so if I can if I can sell you a pen right now, then I can definitely sell you some crypto. Um, I mean, fucking Matt Damon's back in it in his in that Super Bowl oh, I had last year. So really, the product sells itself, you know. Dude, Larry David was right in that other Super Bowl ad. Which one? The one where he's wrong all the time, and they're like, <laughs> "You should invest in FTX." He's like, "Nah, I'm good." But you know, FTX is now under criminal investigation. So he was right. He was. You know who else is under criminal investigation? Who's that? Tom Brady for that shit. And Steph Curry. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I read an opinion piece talking about, you know, how, how liable should these athletes be and celebrities. Yeah, let's, let's, make them, let's make them extremely liable. Everyone to jail. Yeah, now that Brady's not playing and he can't go back to New England, you don't care. <laughs> yeah, did you see the uh, thing that he's going to, like, start doing stand-up? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's really going, like, full, full midlife crisis. He's he's going full Rosillo. Well, he's joining the Fox booth, right? Uh, in a couple sure. in a couple years, yeah. Okay, because I remember reading. I don't. I think it might be next year because I was reading something where it was like the pressure was on Greg Olson and Rex Burkhart. I think that's or Kevin Burkhart. I think that's his name for the the Fox broadcasters. But now that Brady's joining them, it's like oh, who cares? Like they'll be fine. So I heard he'll begin start of the twenty twenty four season. You think he's gonna be better than Drew Brees? In the booth, yeah. Yeah. Breeze yeah. isn't even doing that anymore, right? Yeah, he was bad. <laughs> not Jason Witten bad. Not not memorably bad, just, oh, I forgot how he he didn't really add anything. Who's the guy that was on uh, Amazon with uh, Herb Street? Yeah. Al Michaels? With Al Michaels, yeah. Yeah, it was Kirk Herb Street. Yeah, Kirk Herb Street The college was bad. guy. He was yeah. fine. Clearly, he's never watched an NFL game. <laughs> I don't know. But, I feel like most of that might just be how bad the Thursday night games were. Yeah, I blame Amazon. They ruin everything they touch. Just kidding. Amazon Studios, please um, buy one of my scripts. So, <laughs> you know what you don't have to buy? And it's actually free around the campus of University Colum- University of South Carolina, Columbia. I know. What's that? Condoms. Yeah. <laughs> also, the Re- uh, Daily Gamecocks Redefining Normal Print Edition. I- Excuse me. On stands now, um, for free. I have a copy of it here with myself. Um, my name is actually in it a couple times. I paid eight dollars for it. <laughs> you did? Who sold yeah. it to you? Uh, it was actually a little troll under the the, the bridge on pit, over that goes over Pickens Street. He said, "Hey, you want some of this? This is a free ticket to happiness." But then he was like, "It's actually not free. It's eight dollars." Oh. He may or may not have been played by Jonathan Banks. 
That's cool. I, t- I had a lot of caffeine this morning, <laughs> if you can't tell. Um, um, so, yeah, uh, we uh, at the Daily Gamecock crew worked really hard on this. Um, it was a lot of work to do newsletter and print content at the same time, as it always is. Uh, but uh, I'm proud of what, what came out of it, especially the news sections. I think arts and opinion, and um, there were some good standalone infographics there as well. Hey, Max, can you explain what the goal of the redefining normal print edition is? <clears throat> um, so it start, started just as a mental health theme, um, and that's essentially what it is, just uh, stories themed around mental health, um, how you can improve it, um, how it's exhibited, that kind of thing. Good. Yeah. <laughs> well, well done. Thanks. Uh, you get two stars out of five. Oh, um, that's well done. Mm, two, two out of yeah. five. Uh, good job. You know. Okay. All that harm. Two most harmful words in the English language. Good shout job. Out, shout out to Fletcher. Um, you wrote a story called USC Student Health Services offers range of mental health options, acknowledges its limitations. Yeah. So honestly, I'm still really confused by this. Um, after writing about it, uh. <laughs> Because, uh, all right, so the basic thing is that if you want to get therapy, which is what most of um, USC's mental health services um, is available for, there's also some addiction stuff. Um, but mostly therapy. It's the addiction piece, Sal. Mostly therapy, um, and you get a counseling session. So it, it's really unclear how many are free to students. Um, I think, I remember I always heard it was around 10. Uh, but then I went into an interview with the mental health services folks, and they only co- really complicated that because they don't really like to focus on the uh, quantity of services you or quantity of sessions you have now, more so um, how frequent they are. Although I spoke to another um, um, psychology professor at USC who said, uh, you really need at least um, uh, counseling once a week. Um, if the problems are even more extreme, you probably want to do that more often. Um, which USC isn't capable of doing now. I know they're hiring more people. Um, President Emeritus of the university recently, in response to the Imagine Carolina uh, summit last semester, said he was investing, um, I think, at least $1 million. It's probably more than that um, into mental health services, which they said they would use to hire more people and things like that. But currently, um, uh, I think the consensus was it's good that it's there, but there, there probably needs to be more, not probably, there needs to be more um, capability specifically with how frequently you can seek care. Noah, um, <clears throat> I hope you don't mind me shouting out that you yourself received therapy. Right? Yes, I did. I was going to uh, actually talk about this. So um, how, how frequent did you do it? Once a week? Um, I think I did... It's been a while since I went to the school for therapy services. Yeah, yeah, just got um, any kind of therapy, not not just through the school. Yeah, but through through the school, I did it, um, and I had this really great uh, guy who then quickly, <laughs> I hope it wasn't my fault, quickly, <laughs> re- quickly retired um, from doing uh, therapy uh, at the school. Um, so I kind of stopped going after he retired. I probably did it like... I had like three or four sessions spread across the course of a semester, um, and it, it was definitely helpful. Um, I was kind of using that in tandem with, uh, 
having a uh, antidepressant uh, prescription. And those things definitely helped get me out of a funk. That's um, good. Because definitely, like, moving to college and being in an unfamiliar setting, like, kind of kick-started a little depressive I'm episode. sure COVID didn't help either. Yeah, and COVID, my freshman year was the COVID year. So that kind of, like, came in at the perfectly wrong time as well. Um, so, you know, my doctor at home prescribed me the antidepressants, and then I started counseling when I got back to school. And uh, that was definitely very helpful. Um, but I will say the process by which you do it is kind of a pain because they, because of the lack of full-time, like, one-on-one therapists that they have, they try to, like, get you to do the group therapy stuff uh, mm-hmm. first. Um, and yeah, I gather the same thing. Before you can even do that, they make you do, like, all these triage appointments, which are identifying your issues and what the best approach would be. And the people that do the triage, they always recommend like 18 group group things first. Um, 18 is probably exaggerating, but they go through that a lot with you. And I just had to keep being like, no, I don't want to do that. No, I don't want to do that. Finally, I did one group thing, um, which was helpful, but ultimately like it wasn't really right for me and it was still during COVID time so it was on Zoom which made it oh. probably less impactful than it would have been um, what is group therapy like because I'm just imagining the AA meetings in Breaking Bad yeah. or they're all just sitting in a circle yeah I mean it's it, it was definitely different on Zoom um, I don't think group therapy is like AA in the sense that like AA obviously has a leader and I've also been on a lot of like um, retreats in my time because I went to a Catholic high school and Group therapy is honestly closer to those than it is to AA or yeah, because it's more like you have one person that is kind of leading and teaching you like practices and things. And then you kind of like go around and um, explain like ways that you think those practices would be beneficial or they might not be beneficial or why you want to use them, why you don't and how they relate to like things in your life. Um, And also like other people just like kind of like make suggestions and things. Um, and you kind of, like, bounce off each other. Um, You've seen, what, Mr. Jealousy, right? Mr. Jealousy. Noah Bombach movie? <laughs> yeah, the Noah Bombach movie. Anything like that? That's that's definitely a little bit of an extreme. Normally, honestly, I think part of this is because I was in a group therapy with other college students, which, no offense to my fellow college students, aren't the most talkative. So <laughs> it would pretty much just be me and the group leader talking because oh, I was, like, the only person that actually wanted to talk. I mean, it's not no, like I I've was... been I've been told in class that I talk too much. But it's always the professors are staring at me, waiting for someone to talk. You might as well be the one to do it, right? Yeah, it, it's that sort of thing where I'm like, I always would wait, like, you know, 20, 30 seconds before chiming in, and then nobody else would, and I would just be like, okay, well, if nobody else is going to talk, then I will. So yeah. I do think that, you know, these group sessions would be more beneficial if people were more engaged with them. And I'm sure that some of the people that go to these regularly and don't talk are getting something out of it. But um, it really sucks for those of us who do kind of want those that interaction as a way to help because there's just like the people aren't really giving you much. Um, And, you know, you you have to try to keep what you're talking about relevant to the whole group. Otherwise, you may as well go to one on one therapy. So it's group therapy is hard because like there's such a fine balance between hogging the attention for yourself and then like not talking enough um so i don't know i i'm probably not great at finding that balance either but you know that's why you go um so that's why i prefer one-on-one finally after i went to a couple group sessions and i decided i didn't want to do it then they're like okay we'll get you set up one-on-one 
And then it took another month after that to get my first one-on-one session. And then I was able to do it kind of regularly because I was in the rotation. Um, what I, is kind of regularly? Like once every three weeks? That's what they say. Or is, that's what the student health services people said were the... Yeah, probably once every two or three weeks. Um, and I did that for like four or five sessions. And then um, it was the end of the semester, so I went home. Um, but honestly, the, I think the most useful thing that the mental health services has is like a psychiatrist, which is like they can actually prescribe you medication. Um, so when my like the antidepressant I was on at the time, like kind of wasn't working out for me anymore. I went to them and explained symptoms and my health history and they were able to prescribe me one that worked a little bit better Good. and had a little bit less of the side effects um, and things. So I do think that just having a doctor that you can go see basically for free um, to prescribe you things and kind of assess you is probably the most useful and accessible thing because they were able to get me in there right away. I don't know if that's always the case, but yeah, there, uh, there's, um, it seems like that would be a less time constrained thing that would be easier to access than the one-on-one therapy, which is like, you know, difficult. Um, yeah. There's also walk-ins available, although that's just dependent on if people are there or not. But they definitely like told me, um, I went back cause I want to start therapy again last semester. Um, and I went back to the school because my dad was like, just figure it out if you can do it through the school because it's easier first. Um, and if not, we'll figure something else out. And I was like, okay. So I went and they recommended the group sessions again. And I told them, like, I had done group sessions. I didn't want to do those. Like, I was just looking for one-on-one thing. Um, and they were basically like, yeah, if you want to do that, you should go seek counsel elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. So I did. Um, and I, Yeah, I so how did you take that? Because I have a friend who, who did the... They went to a one-on-one, or it might have been triage because it was their first one. And they were essentially said, wow, you know, not wow. Okay, so they essentially said, uh, your problems are so extreme that we can't treat you here. You should go somewhere else. And they took that as essentially, like, I'm too fucked up for to be to go to therapy. <laughs> um, which uh, I, I talked to, um, who did I speak to here? Um, I think Dr. Elizabeth Porter um, in the in the article and she's, uh, yeah, Elizabeth Claire Porter, she said, you know, um, that happens, but you, we're just trying to get the, the best care we can, so. Well, I think I think that's reasonable, the university, to say in some cases, because, um, like, there's a lot of mental disorders, and I, I, don't even want to, I don't even know if disorder is the politically correct thing to say, but, like, a lot of, like, um, mental health issues that I think would require a specialist, and you don't want somebody, like, who's not a specialist in that treating you if it is something yeah. that's more extreme. So like, I think one, they're doing it because yes, if you went to a specialist, you would get better care. And two, because they don't want to be like, they, they don't know how to treat that. So they don't want to mm-hmm. be liable for it. And I, I don't think it's reasonable to expect the university to have specialists for every, you know, mental disorder and disease, um, which again, sorry if I'm not using the right terms there, but um yeah, it's, it just kind of is what it is, and it's unfortunate because therapy is expensive and college students are already um, strapped for cash, um, but I will say you should definitely check with, like, you know, if um, you're still, quote-unquote, a dependent with your parents, um, check with them and have them ask their work or whatever um, if they cover, like, family um, counseling and therapy because that's what I ended up doing is the, that, like, the health insurance through my parents' work, like, mm-hmm. had, where, like, they, you got a certain amount of free sessions, then after that, it was, like, 
discounted um, based on their insurance. So definitely check with your parents. Check with other family members, you know, on uncle, grandparents, you might be able to find some kind of loophole that way. Um, and there's a lot of, like, online resources, too, that you can look up websites. Um, have that, you have you experimented with any of the online stuff? No, I, that's not that's not really what I was going to say was the online counseling. I was going to say okay. look up resources of ways to find cheaper counseling. Because mm. there's definitely, like, um, aggregate websites that will find, like... Um, free services and things like that or uh, government supported you know mental health services mm-hmm. and again those might be difficult like the university to get uh, treatment and stuff in a timely manner but um, the best I can say is you know the American healthcare system is fucked up um, and mental health is probably one of the biggest um, sufferers of that but you know if you're not going to be moving to Europe anytime soon then I would say at least you know do what you can and get your name on the list um, so that it comes sooner rather than later. Because, you know, if you get discouraged and you never sign up for it, then you're just going to kind of be stuck in the cycle. Um, And, you know, it's it's quote-unquote never too late. So at least throw your name in the ring and start looking for things that are affordable and um, or are convenient. And when they become available, then you can, you know, start your journey. But um, there's obviously plenty of stuff you can also do to treat uh, basic anxiety and depression yourself, you know, with, um, we had a bunch of articles, you know, uh, exercising and eating healthier and all things I should be doing that I don't, <laughs> but, uh, you know, take it from my mouth. As you sit actions. here with, uh, cheddar cheese, baked crackers, a Mountain Dew and Lunchables. Yeah. <laughs> I'm clearly a beacon of health. No, that's not <laughs> what I'm trying to say. I'm just, a uh, I'm a very proactive person. I don't like to, you know, sit around and wait for to get better. So, um, you know, I would just say that's my biggest piece of advice to somebody that has been to therapy is just kind of like attack the problem. Don't don't wait for it to fix itself because um, you can definitely, you know, you can be scrappy and you can find the people that will help. Um, you just got to keep looking around and, uh, you know, find people to talk to. Yeah, I think that's useful uh, firsthand experience. Um, I do not have any first-hand experience because I have not um, <clears throat> gone through therapy or anything like that. But um, You'd be surprised how um, you know cheap antidepressants are, even if they're not covered by insurance. They're typically not an expensive medicine. Um, so definitely, like, check with a doctor or go to, like, a a minute clinic or somewhere where you can get an, an appointment quick and, you know, relatively cheap. Um, and see if they can prescribe an antidepressant, and you might not have to pay a lot out of pocket for it. Normally, those medications are not too bad. Again, I'm just talking from a basic, like, uh, clinical depression and anxiety standpoint. I don't have any firsthand experience when it comes to more severe um, issues, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's the best I got, so... Sorry if uh, saying just go to therapy isn't isn't an option because it's not an option for everybody. But um, definitely do your research because there there's there's something out there. Yeah, for sure. I think that's um, that's quite good. Um, yeah. So uh, if you are a student at USC, um, if you have more than six credit hours, or if you're enrolled in more than six uh, six at least six credit hours right now then um, at least six counseling sessions are available to you. Um, and uh, if you feel like uh, 
you know, you can't do what you usually do, um, or you're failing um, some kind of class, or you feel sad and you can't do anything, it kind of is um, paralyzing in that sense, then that's when um, the experts I talked to said you should, you should seek therapy. Um, and if you do that through USC, uh, like Noah said, that'll involve seeking a triage appointment, which I had to look up what that means. Um, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's essentially just... Um, Is it triage of, or triage? Uh, I don't know. I always call it triage. Maybe one one right. of the two. Um, but it, uh, it's essentially a preliminary assessment, which I don't know why they just don't use that. I guess that's two words. Um, <laughs> too, too much typing. Yeah, to determine what services would fit best for you. Um, and then it can go from there. Uh, from what Noah said, it sounds like they try and push group therapy, which makes sense. Um, but hopefully if you're, if you are seeking one-on-one therapy, then you're easily able to ac- uh, access that. Now, do you want to talk about what I, uh, actually do to relieve stress and anxiety? Does it have to do with a certain powdery white substance? <laughs> you nailed my segue, <laughs> Max. Uh... <laughs> Not actually, but uh, Max and I saw a film last week called Cocaine Bear. But yeah, you hated it. I didn't. You thought ha- it was terrible. I didn't hate it. I didn't hate it. I gave, I said it was mid. <laughs> it was the definition of mid. Um, yeah, we. Sorry, I'm. I'm. Maybe I moved in that segue too fast. Um, if you want to check out the print edition, redefining normal. Um, it's look for a stand with a booklet that has a bunch of brains on the front, um, cat scans basically. And, uh, pick one up, says the daily game cock on it, read the stories, flip to Max's page, read his story, and then throw everything else out. <laughs> nah, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah. So flip through that. That has a lot of, uh, access to resources in it. Yeah. If so you're curious about those things. it's, uh, it's free. Like I said, it's all around campus. Uh, I really like the design. Shout out to... I think Julia was the one who um, who made the design, so shout out to her and the rest of the design team. Um, copy and management and opinion and news and arts. Um, and uh, I think that's all the sections. Everybody who worked together, um, the advertising teams who put the ads in there. Um, and if you don't live on campus, uh, then you can go to dailygamecock.com um, to check it out. And, uh, yeah, and then you go to specials, and it's right there. So, yeah. Um, dailygamecock.com slash special slash rn dash redefining dash normal is how you can sort of access it online um, in a similar sense to the print edition. So that's the print edition. Um, the next pr- print edition coming out. I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, um, but it will be. Um, Maybe don't. So okay. I don't have to edit it out. All right. If it's not public knowledge. Well, yet. we have uh, another print edition coming out soon in like a month or two. So look forward to that. All right. Thank you, Max. Are you ready to talk about cocaine? Yeah, so um, uh, cocaine bear. So I'm scrolling Twitter right now. I see this from the New York Post. When a bear attacks, don't push friends down, the National Park Services say. That's would, you, would you abide by that advice? Not to push your friends down? Yeah. I, I like to think that I wouldn't push you down if we came across a bear. What would what would we do if we saw a, a demented bear hyped up on cocaine? Um, I would probably freak out, <laughs> and I would probably die. <laughs> yeah? I don't really think I have any other option than that, right? 
Uh, I mean, if I don't have any weapons on me, what the fuck am I going to do? I guess you got to carry bear spray, right? Yeah, I guess bear spray. I would just be really, like... I would not be like those idiot tourists who are, like... You wouldn't try and record it? Let's take a picture of it. Yeah, if I see a bear hyped up on cocaine or not, I'm just trying to get out of there with my life. That's good. You know, I'm just... I, I don't really... I don't really care about getting a picture or putting it on social media. I can look at pictures of bears, you know. <laughs> there's there's enough out there. Um, so I'll just, like, you know, hopefully slowly and quietly step away, and he won't notice me, and I'll be fine. Um, so if it were a movie, would you find it humorous? Cocaine bear? Like, if I was in the movie? No. I'm. Did you... <laughs> so do you at least find the, the, um, the gimmick uh, in the title humorous yes of course my problem with the movie is that it's got the most humorous setup of all time and it's not that funny i thought it, and i and specifically a couple people in front of us we were in the second row because it was a we saw it thursday night so opening night and uh, i don't know i keep on thinking these screenings are going to be much smaller than they are and they always end up being packed because the movies are back bitch yeah yeah so we had to sit in the second row guys in the first row they really liked it you, you weren't laughing so much? I think you were laughing more at them than anything. Yeah, I was laughing more at the guys in front of us. They're real NPCs. There was, like, one point in the movie where, uh, like, the bear was, like, on screen, and it was, like, in the background about to attack somebody, and the characters in the movie, like, didn't see the bear because they had their back turned to it. And this dude in the front goes, like, dude, oh, my God, oh, my God, look, he's right there. He's right there. He's right behind you. And I'm like, who They watches? did a lot of... A lot of pointing. Yeah, I was like, who watches movies like this? I'm like, literally, you were, like, born in a tube. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> what is wrong with you? Um, so, yeah, I I was laughing at these dudes the whole time. And Max was like, dude, stop making fun of them. They're clearly, like, 14. And they had game Carolina Gamecock gear on. And then after the movie, I saw them all get into a car together, and one of them was driving. So they were definitely college-aged. They had fucking beards, bro. Well. <laughs> well, I don't know what you're talking about, they, 14 uh, years old. I think they enhanced our experience, at least. They enhanced my experience, because otherwise I would have been bored. <laughs> I don't understand how you were bored. I thought, I thought it was a, a very funny movie. It was like a slasher, um, with comedic elements. I don't know. You're I don't, just like, but you're not describing what you like about the movie. You're just describing like what the movie is. What do I like about? It? I don't like the gore. I liked the. Uh, <laughs> that was quite funny. This is like letterboxd review from somebody that's like never written about a movie before. You're okay. really not. You're not spitting here, bro. Okay, let me. You got to I don't know. So at the beginning, um, I feel like a lot of people have criticized this. It has a lot of characters. Um, it sets up a lot of people, sort of. Uh, um, what's the word? Sort of going to the same place, converging. That's the word. Converging, the same place, this park where this bear happens to be. Um, and uh, I don't know. I mean, at first I was like, wow, this is a lot of people. This is kind of getting redundant. But I don't know. It serves a purpose because most of them die, and they die in pretty funny ways. That's true. I thought some of the kills were good. Yeah, good kills. I mean, I, don't, I just, I went into this movie not expecting much, and I feel like I got everything I wanted out of it, so. I thought the effects of the gore, like, looked really bad. Like, it wasn't really, like. I, I disagree. It wasn't funny to me because I was just, like, this just, like, I don't believe anything that's happening, you know? Where it was, like. Well, you don't believe, I don't know. Why is believability it's a fucking bear on cocaine, like... Believability does not equal, like, realistic. That's not what I'm saying. Like, it... Like, the movie, like, it... 
I am not in the world of the movie. Like, it does not sell the premise well enough to get me invested in it. Does that make sense? Like, I'm not... Yeah, I should be, like, la- like lapping it up every time that bear fucking kills somebody. But, like, I'm really not because the bear doesn't really feel real to me. So he's not funny or scary because it's a really bad-looking CGI bear, which is fair. This is a small-budget movie. But, like, even, like, when... Um, minor spoilers like the the guy from modern family when he gets like his leg chewed off i'm just like the the fake leg falls down i'm like that literally looks like a piece of rubber like it would be funny if it looked like a real fucking leg you know what i mean i feel like i'm much more forgiving of the effects than you are so yeah i guess i'm just fed up with the bad effects in movies in general these days and i will say this on every podcast we talk about these uh big budget movies i do not blame the visual effects artists at all it is 100% an industry studio problem, not a visual effects artist problem because they are overworked and underpaid and uh, you can't expect anybody to, you know, be perfect in those conditions. Um, So, I mean, the budget isn't huge. It says 30 to 35 million according to Wikipedia. Right, and it doesn't feel like that money's on screen. I mean, even like a movie I didn't really... (laughs) We can litigate this. We'll be litigating this in a couple weeks when it inevitably sweeps all the Oscars. But, like, even Everything Everywhere All at Once was, like, a pretty low-budget movie. But I will say, the effects in that movie look really fucking good. And that was what got me into the movie more than pretty much everything else in it. Um, so it's not like it can't be done. I think it's more of a time issue than a money issue. Hmm. Which, I- time is money. But you kind of get where I'm coming from with that. Like, these release schedules that they set up right now are so, like, tight. And maybe that's some of that's, like lingering pandemic effects because they're like we had to stop work for a year so to like catch up and actually have full slates in 21 22 23 we really have had to like rush things because there was like no time to take a break after that um but you know it's what it is no um i kind of agree excuse me i kind of agree with you at least a little bit with the sense um putting the budget to use because all right so that's 30 to 35 million um and uh I, i that just sort of made, uh, made me remember Little Women, which is like a very ornate period piece. I think it's like two and a half hours. Everything is period. Everything is on location. I'm sure there's been it all looks visual incredible. effects. Yeah. yeah, and that's 40 million. So, I mean, like a five to ten million difference. No, that's what I'm saying. The ide- yeah. To me, the ideal movie budget is $40 million. With $40 million, you can get good talent, you can get a good director, you can get good locations, and you can do, like, touch-up visual effects where, where needed. And you have enough money left over for, like, lighting and costumes and things like that. And you can accurately depict a place that is not just, like, you know, someone's backyard. You know, like, you can you can create a, a world and just be... But you have to be more intentional with where you use the money. And I, it doesn't feel like movies really do that nowadays. Like, you look at some, some budgets nowadays for like movies that kind of look like dog shit and it'll be like 80 million dollar budget and you're like where, where the hell is the money who who is all this money for like where did they spend it and a lot of that is and eh, we'll fix it in post you know yeah i don't know maybe it's maybe it's Liz, uh, elizabeth banks kind of an unexperienced director maybe I, it's... she's she's made a few movies but from what i heard um her other movies are not great but i haven't seen them so i can't judge i don't know i think I thought the bear was convincing enough that I, I was like, oh, there's a bear on the screen. And it didn't look like, uh, I don't know, like it was in some kind of um, 
you know, work in progress kind of thing. So, but yeah, I do, I do like Elizabeth Banks as an actress, and I think she's pretty funny and a uh, charming person. But um, I did feel like this movie was lacking a little bit of cohesion when it came to the directing side. I think like a big thing I've kind of like trained my eye and like my feeling to notice with movies lately is like I actually think that the non-bear stuff in this movie looks pretty good like it's shot on location like it's they're clearly in a forest like all that stuff is like it's well lit like there's good um, framing for most of it like it's shot pretty well but like I've really learned that directing really doesn't have as much to do with those things it has way more to do with movement of the camera and how the shots cut together and the pace at which they cut together and um you know working on the blocking of the actors and like those very subtle things make a movie like very engaging to watch or don't make a movie engaging to watch and like there's a lot of this movie that for being about a bear on cocaine just feels very still it's just like a lot of people just looking at each other and talking a surprising amount other than and then like every like ten minutes the bear will come in and do something funny for thirty seconds. <laughs> so and you say funny there? Yeah, because there are moments that are like effective, but it's not consistent at all. And like you need like a you know a true like directorial vision or whatever is going to make all that um, intermediate stuff really fun and engaging. And it's really not like it's a ninety-five minute movie and it feels long like way longer because. They're just whole stretches where I'm just like, I don't care what's happening and I'm bored. Like, you have you have all the elements there. Like, you have Ray Liotta running this, like, drug cartel. Like, you have his, like, Alden Ehrenreich and O'Shea Jackson Jr. as, like, his little two, like, minions. You have Carrie Russell trying to find her daughter. And, like, at no point do any of these characters feel worried about the bear. They don't, like, they don't really see any humor in the situation other than maybe Ehrenreich and O'Shea Jackson with the like the hippie kids you know but like that scene's kind of good but they don't really do anything else like that throughout the movie it's just kind of like them walking um i don't know there's i think this movie has a lot of potential and just kind of doesn't do anything with it that's that's basically my whole take on it like it's just it's it's very static surprisingly slow um it just doesn't feel very well directed. It's it's a tough criticism to give because I can't really say how it would be better or why it's bad. It's totally like a you can feel the disjointedness as you're watching it type of thing. I think some of the um, I'll admit some of the I don't know sort of pull on your heartstrings emotional aspects they really try and set up. They try and set up um, Aaron Reich how, uh, and his kid. Um, there's quite a lot of time dedicated to that with Frey Liotta being his um, father and sort of the disjointed relationship there um, and Aaron Reich getting back to his kid. Um, they set up the <clears throat> Carrie Russell looking for her daughter. Um, so everybody has these motivations there that I kind of thought were at least a little bit panned in. Um, you know, we're there just th- those motivations are sort of blatantly just existing so we don't just throw them aside as kind of um, you know, red shirts or anything like that. Um, I don't know. What, was there suspense? I feel like there wasn't ever really any doubt that Carrie Russell was going to find her daughter. Her daughter was going to be okay. Um, I thought, I don't know. I felt like the, the spoiler alert, I mean, the ending with uh, with Ray Liotta was, was pretty, um, 
pretty satisfying. Uh, they sort of set him up to be the villain more than the bear. Um, I don't. I don't blame. It, it really. It really does feel like a directing thing because I feel it feels like the actors are doing what they're told, but they're not. They're not really selling it, and I don't feel like it's their fault. It's because you know they were told, "We we got it. Let's move on." You know, like you know, there was just like a. I, I'm sure, like every single movie, people put in hard work and care a lot, but um, it is that just ineffable quality of like, does it have it, and just doesn't really have it. Like each scene, like if you pl- plucked out a scene from this movie, and you were like, and this seems very like high art, pretentious Noah's going off thing but i promise you it's not um if you pluck out a scene from this movie and you have to tell me like in this scene what do the characters want what is their objective how is it going to happen and you don't really have a good sense of any three of those things and every single scene in any movie has to have all three of those things figured out and clearly communicated to the audience and they don't have to be big ideas they don't have to be themes they don't really have to be things that change the whole story, but you just need that like little bit of momentum of like, what is the purpose of the scene in the movie? And you, it's most like 90% of scenes are not going to be the climactic scene where it all comes together. So you, if you ask me about that for a scene in like, I don't know, Boogie Nights or some other like film we all consider a masterpiece, The Godfather, like a, a short scene in the middle of The Godfather, I might not be able to tell you like, articulate what the characters want, what their objective is and how they're going to get it in for just that one scene. But when you're watching it, you feel it and you know it. And at this, at this point in the, this movie has none of that in like 70% of the scenes. So it just, it doesn't, it doesn't give you a reason to, to keep watching. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think, uh, I don't know. I went to the, the theater for a good time. The, the title is there, cocaine bear. <laughs> Um, You're making me sound like a pretentious asshole that I'm, like, trying to, like... I'm not trying to artfully analyze this film. I'm trying to say that, like, I went to a theater for a good time, but it doesn't do the things that are necessary for a film giving you a good time. Because it's not a a movie... Like I said, those things that, like, what the characters want, what their object, like what their objective is and how they're going to get it can be the most ridiculous, over-the-top, batshit things possible. And it sells the movie and that gives you a good time. Like Megan, you could pluck out a scene from Megan and I could probably tell you what those three things are for every single scene. And it's got the, it is the exact same thing as cocaine bear where it is like, it's silly on purpose. It's just supposed to be a good time. We're doing like a gonzo riff on like a genre. And the whole like hook of it is that it's ridiculous. Oh my God, look at this trailer, you know, but that movie like has direction and has vision. Cocaine bear really does not. I felt like, I don't know, going back to Megan, we've both seen that. I felt like a lot of the um, aspects of Megan were a lot more contrived than this one, at least. Um, I don't know. I I enjoyed this more than Megan. I think I both have them around the same score. Um, But I just thought the kills were more, uh, I thought uh, the kills were more satisfying. And um, I thought I liked the cast better. I mean, you've been pretty complimentary of the cast, at least. Um, I really like Carrie Russell. I think she's a great actress. Underrated, honestly. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess we can compare it to Megan, but I don't. I I feel like I'm just more forgiving. I'm I'm meaning the movie where it is. 
Um, I'm meeting the movie where it is too. I want to see a really fun movie where a bear on cocaine kills a bunch of people and have it be satisfying. It just wasn't really that fun or satisfying. Like my my problem is that like I wanted it to be fun and it wasn't fun. Like I'm meeting the movie where it is. I wanted ridiculous fun from Cocaine Bear and it did not give me ridiculous and it did not give me fun. I think bits of it are ridiculous. Like I'm thinking again just back to some of the kills. I mean the I forget the actress's name, uh, the park ranger. I mean, her head getting... Margot Martindale? That's yeah. honestly the best scene. That is the best scene in the movie. When the bear comes into the cabin, almost kills Margot Martindale, and then the EMTs come in, and then there's, like, the ambulance chase with the bear. That is fucking sick. Yeah. I, that, I think That sequence does everything I mentioned. That is the problem with most of the movie. I mean, I gave it two and a half stars. It's not like I gave it one star. It's a five out of ten for me. That's my review. <laughs> I... I don't know. I think a lot of it could be um, aimless, and uh, or a lot of it probably is aimless, and uh, a lot of it sort of does kind of count on the actors probably to improv quite a bit. Um, and, and I don't know. I feel like the those in, uh, interactions were funny enough to carry the the movie along. Um, I really liked Aaron Reich and uh, his role there, and sort of his relationship with um, O'Shea Jackson Jr. Uh, and then their interactions with the what was the sheriff's name? Um, Ranger Liz. No, Margo I think, Martindale. No, the 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 other guy. Oh, the cop. Oh, oh, Bob. Yeah, uh, Isaiah Whitlock Jr. I thought those scenes were, were quite good. How he's on the gazebo, um, and they're kind of chilling there. I mean, the the bear like falls on Aaron Reich. That stuff was fun because that was like, that was probably the height of the actual like drug dealer cocaine plot. Yeah, know? I don't know. I feel like where it probably is weakest is probably where it needed to be best with um, Carrie Russell and the sort of the kid side plot. Outside of the kids doing cocaine, there's not really any, anything interesting there. <laughs> yeah, I thought the first scene with the kids was really good. And I was like, oh, if this is what this movie is, this is going to rock. Like, the kids being ridiculous and, like, trying to eat cocaine. And I was like, this is the energy this needs. And I Yeah, was and like, all that really came to was just that the kids were rooting for the bear to kill Ray Liotta at the end. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't really follow through on the stuff with the kids um, very well. Uh, honestly, they were giving some of the best performances in the movie. Um, and then they sideline the the, the girl. Um, what's her, I think it's Brooklyn Prince. Yeah, she was in the Florida Project. She's really good. And then she's like in the first scene and then is out of the rest of the movie until the last scene. That was a little disappointing. Yeah, so I guess mixed here. I, I give it a positive review. I think you give it a neutral review. You're um, you're you're Mr. Three and a Half Star, so I'm not surprised that's what you gave it. Um, would you recommend people to go use their hard earned cash to see this in theater? No. I don't know. I feel like our experience is probably the best one you could have is seeing it on opening night with a packed theater. Theater probably isn't gonna be packed anymore. I would also probably say wait for streaming. Um, there are probably some better slashers you can watch. But I don't know, it was funny. Um, I'm glad it came out. I'm glad I went to see to see it with Regal Unlimited, not my, not a sponsor. Yeah, as far as like horror comedies go, this really didn't hit the mark for me. I love horror comedies, so it's not like I'm not understanding what this movie is trying to achieve. I just don't think it achieved it well. Like, I I just I like I can't make more clear the whole meaning the movie where it is thing. Like, you can any movie can like have a bear on cocaine rip a guy's leg off while he's sitting in a tree like that is ridiculous yes but like 
whether or not that is fun is not the idea itself. Like, it's the execution. It's not executed well. That's my basic take. Any movie can be really fun or really, like, or not, just based on how it's executed. The pre like, premise really, premise and plot when it comes to filmmaking do not matter. Like, they just don't. Anybody who says the plot was bad, like, just honestly walk into traffic because, like, you just, you're not, like, that has nothing to do with whether or not the movie is fun to watch is whether or not the plot is good. The plot is just literally what happens. It's entirely dependent on how it's executed is whether or not it's fun to watch. That's my take. So, uh, before we go, I watched something last night that I thought was also fun to watch. A movie with great execution. <laughs> Uh, a movie that Noah really loves, uh, masterpiece um, by his by his account. I really liked it as well. Uh, the Color of Money. Color of Money. Nineteen eighty six. Martin Scorsese. Tom Cruise. Yeah, I uh, feel like Bob or not uh, Paul Newman. <laughs> Were you gonna say Bob Odenkirk? No, I was gonna say I don't know. I wanted to say Bob Bob Newman instead of Paul Newman. I don't know why. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel like we should just do this every week now. Where it's just like. Max and Noah catch up on what they've been watching. Um, it's kind of a, maybe it's not fun for other people, but I feel like <laughs> it, I feel like it's fun for us. We watched the uh, Creed two together the other day, which we're seeing Creed three tonight. I'm very excited for that. Yeah, uh, Creed three comes out tonight. Uh, I went ahead and watched the first two movies. Uh, good sports movies. Um, I went into the uh, thinking the color. Excuse me, uh, the color for money wasn't going to be a sports movie. I don't know why. But it very much was a, uh, a sports movie. Probably the best a sports movie can, uh, sports movie can be in sort of that format of um, exploring these characters um, through competition. Uh, in this case, through um, Poole being the primary driver. Uh, yeah. So it's, uh, it's Color Money, 1986. Marty. You said 1986. But, yeah, Marty's Pool movie. It's a sequel to a 60s film called The Hustler which is one of my favorite movies of all time, where, like, Paul Newman plays a, like, young, hotshot pool player who wants to prove that he's the best, but he doesn't realize that the real way to make money in the pool game is not to win tournaments, it's to hustle people. Basically, sucker, like, mediocre players into beating you a few times and then raise the stakes and then kick the shit out of them. Um, so, you know, he, like, will go up to a guy and he'll be like, Oh, uh, let's play pool like 10 bucks, you and me. And he'll purposely lose. And he'll do that a few times. And the guy he's playing will be like, oh, man, just keep taking your free money. And eventually he'll be like, all right, double or nothing. And the guy will be like, sure, I just beat you five times in a row. And then he just absolutely mops the floor with them. Um, and he keeps doing it to this this guy, like Minnesota Fats, who's like this um, all-time pool player. But Minnesota Fats' strategy is just to outlast you. Like, he's just like... I could play pool for 48 hours straight and not get tired. And, like, I can drink through the whole thing. And, like, at the end of the day, I will come out on top because you will quit. Um, and he loses really badly to this guy. And he goes down, like, a very destructive spiral. Um, and I won't spoil the rest of that movie, but that's, like, kind of the setup. Um, and in the intervening years, he's quit pool. And he comes back in the 80s because he meets this kid who he thinks could be the next great, played by Tom Cruise. Um, and they go on the road together, hustling people. And, but also Tom Cruise, you know, like Newman did in the first movie, wants to quote unquote, be the best in the world. Um, so they also enter the tournament world and chaos and hijinks ensues. And I think it's pr a pretty great film. Um, you have a five stars. Pretty great. Yeah. It's a masterpiece. Uh, 
<laughs> I I don't think I've ever given a Martin Scorsese movie lower than a four. Maybe Cape Fear. I think I gave it three and a half. But yeah, I mean, just anything the man touches is gold. Like the color of money. Like the talk about pace. Like this movie's pace is just fucking awesome. Like every scene the camera is moving it's whipping around the pool table like every action and yeah, little like it, the, the camera is always moving in this movie every gesture the characters have is like matched by some kind of filmmaking flourish that just makes it like feel like the most awesome thing you've ever watched um i was also really um impressed by uh how um uh infrequent they uh cut from one character or one actor uh shooting and then just directly to the uh, ball actually going in and how a lot of times it's actually showing oh they actually did hit that and the they went into the um the hole so there, yeah there's like long takes in this film like like oneers where like tom cruise will hit like three pool shots in a row like that are like no look shots mm-hmm. it's pretty it's pretty awesome that they did it all in camera yeah yeah um i don't know that just makes me think about you know what do you think is more impressive Tom Cruise doing that, or Michael B. Jordan doing all the boxing stuff for Creed? Uh, oh God, I don't. I mean, I don't know enough about the like the training process for either sport to really. I feel like Cruise is probably more choreography than anything. Yeah, that's more choreography and like a lot of takes. Like obviously the quote unquote training, like Michael B. Jordan probably has to do a lot of more physical training yeah. for um, Creed. And not that there's not finesse to boxing, because there definitely is, but it's it's a different kind of training like i think both probably take like equal amounts of time practicing but it's just a different kind of like i don't know physical experience if that makes sense yeah are you a pool player yourself not really i suck at pool (laughs) i love watching movies about it though you have played it though yeah i've played i've played a few games okay me and me and uh i i've played pool a couple times my uh it was pretty i don't know it's i still don't think i have the um the way to hold it down. Yeah, that's uh, exactly. my biggest thing is I'm always switching up my grip. <laughs> yeah, the the grip. Um, but I don't know, I feel like I can complete a game of pool and not look that embarrassing while doing it. So that's where I'm at with it. Boxing. I used to be really can't say that. I used to be really uncoordinated, so I was absolutely terrible at pool. Um, I've definitely gotten a little better at it, just from naturally growing older and being a little more coordinated. But you got to game more. I, I, mem- I remember people always just say I was so coordinated because I was a gamer when I was a kid. Dude, I've always kind of sucked at video games. Even though, <laughs> I mean, I love, like, single-player story-based games and even, like, platformers and stuff. But, I mean, competitive gaming, I'm just terrible at. And that's why I'm, t- I'm terrible at basketball. I'm terrible at baseball. Um, I can throw and catch a football pretty well. I have an okay spiral sometimes. We'll see that March 14th come out to... Oh God! Where the flag football uh, is, we'll uh, we'll see that at 9 p.m. on a Wednesday. Yeah, squawk listeners, if you go to <laughs> University of South Carolina, come to our flag football games, see the boys play. Wednesdays at nine. Um, yeah, color of money, I like it. Um, what, what what do you what do you? I gave it four. You gave it five. What do you makes it think it's uh, five out of five? I mean, I think it's the best gambling movie of all time. Maybe, I mean, besides The Hustler. In that, like, it, no nobody better than um, Marty, I think, understands the, like, highs of gambling and the lows of gambling. 
Um, and I'm not really a gambler myself. I mean, I've placed a couple sports bets in my life, but I wouldn't say I, I'm a gambler. Um, but, like, it's just like anything else he makes a movie about. Like, he's able to simultaneously show you the highest point of it and the lowest point of it and make both things equally exciting to watch. Um, and, like, it's not – it doesn't hide the consequences of it. You know, it's like Paul Newman. There's some pretty dark moments in the movie for him. Um, Cruz is obviously a hothead and gets himself in trouble a few times. Um, and I think the movie ends on a very poignant note, especially if you've seen the first film that like, um, this game is really what these, these guys live for. Um, and I, I think above all that too, like that's, I say that from a thematic standpoint, but I just think it's like an absolutely thrilling movie to watch. Like it's just every single scene is like, just, I'm, my eyes are glued to the screen and it's a vibes thing. Michael Ballhouse cinematography. I absolutely No, yeah, love. I was looking at that. I don't know. He did the same cinematography for Goodfellas and a couple other Scorsese movies. He's but, one of the, he's one of my goats. I absolutely love Michael Ballhouse. Yeah, maybe I just need to rewatch Goodfellas and some of those other movies. But this one, I don't know. The camera moved around so much. There were so many uh, creative shots following the ball, that kind of thing, that I really n- hadn't stuck out to me in any other kind of Scorsese movie. So yeah, I will. I think it's been a while since you watched Wolf of Wall Street, right? Yeah. I honestly think filmmaking-wise, Wolf of Wall Street is the closest he's gotten to the color of money in terms of that kind of stuff. Of just yeah, like, so just sort of getting fun. Um, yeah. I think it's a really great example of um, limitations sort of uh, increasing creativity there because this is probably one of the um, you know smallest stakes. Um, I don't think the budget was very big either. Actually, I kind of disagree on that because Scorsese up until this point, this was kind of the biggest movie he had made up until then mm-hmm. because – he was not a commercial director until like. Well, I'm saying the the, the characters stakes, not the. Yeah, the character stakes. Yeah, it's just it's just literally Tom Cruise getting driven around by uh, Paul Newman with his, and then Tom Cruise is his girlfriend. Yeah, it's it's a fun movie. The Hustler is not really a fun movie. Mm. Color of Money is definitely a fun movie. It's a it's a perfect. This guy. Like, you know when I complain about like franchises or whatever, like the you know the Hustler, the Color of Money is a sequel, um, but. It is, like, so, so fun. You know, like, a sequel is not, I don't think is in, in a franchise, is not an inherently bad thing. But, like, you know, Martin Scorsese is able to put a lot of fucking art into a sequel to a pool gambling movie that came out 25 years prior, you know? Um, so when you get the right people in the room, it can a sequel or a franchise can be special. Um, yeah. Yeah, I wanted a palate cleanser um, in between watching all these other franchises, such as Creed um, and Mission Impossible that me and Noah have been watching. So I chose The Color of Money. Um, I've said this for a long time. I've only seen now six Scorsese movies, but there's still so many I need to see. So Yeah, I still have like 10 to go, honestly. I've seen like 20 and I still have like 10 to go. Mm-hmm. Um, what's Cape your Fear really looked interesting to me, at least the the premise. I I think it you I don't know if you know this but there's a really famous Simpsons episode um that's a take on Cape Fear except it has uh sideshow Bob uh going after Bart. <laughs> um and that's one of the most acclaimed ones but what was your question? I was going to say what's your favorite cruise performance of that that you've seen? Yeah, I was thinking about this last night while watching it. I don't know, Cruise is such a larger than life figure. A lot of times um this is probably unfair to him. But a lot of times, especially in, you know, Top Gun, um, Mission Impossible, a lot of these huge budget uh, action movies that he's done, he's sort of more of a conduit um, to propel the plot forward than anything. 
So, I don't know. I need to watch more movies where he's... I hate to, to do this, but where he's actually acting and sort of playing a character um, that's different than sort of his um, persona outside of film. You know, same with how Dwayne Johnson sort of has his persona and he sticks with it. Um, I think we've uh, litigated this on the pod before, but Eyes Wide Shut you haven't seen. Mm-mm. Magnolia? No. <laughs> Minority Report? No. Rain Man? Uh, half of it. Okay. <laughs> collateral you've seen? Yeah. He's he's good in Collateral. Edge of Tomorrow? No. Interview with the Vampire? I haven't seen that. No. Um, A Few Good Men? No. Jerry Maguire? No. Yeah, you you have not seen the, the, the GOAT cruise performances. Born on the Fourth of July? Yeah, you're missing all the good ones, man. The ones where he really, like, the mo- the ones he should have won Oscars for. He was really funny in this. I mean, uh... No, I think he I think he's good in Color of Money. It's definitely his most, like... Um, he's, he really sells the hothead kind of, uh, you know, I'm cringing watching this kid mess up. Him doing this and Top Gun in the same year is just, like, yeah, peak, I did like notice 80s that. movie stardom. Yeah, know? same um, year. The, the young hotshot kid. Um, I don't know. Color Money or, you know, Hustler 3 with, with Tom Cruise. Bring Marty back. Who would he be mentoring? Miles Teller? <laughs> no, Miles Teller's too old for that now. He makes sense as a fighter pilot, but... Miles yeah, I was, was looking like at the... mid Cruise was, like I think, like 20, maybe like 24 at the, like, uh, oldest in this movie, so... Yeah, no, he was super young. Chalamet? Did he... <laughs> no, Chalamet's no, 28 now. Yeah, it's true. I also can't see him selling how energetic Cruz is. I guess he doesn't have to be exactly like Cruz. He just has to be kind of someone Cruz. I mean, it doesn't. Mentor. It doesn't have to be a mentor movie. Yeah, you know. Um, um, well, I don't think they're. I don't think Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio acts anymore either. So they'd have to get. They, that I don't think that would be the angle either. Yeah, no, she's really. Did, I don't know. Lately. It's probably been a while since you've seen this movie. I think it was really funny. I'm pretty sure Cruz had a. Ear piercing. And he I, did, he did. Yeah, I thought that was funny. Yeah, they could bring John Turturro and Forrest Whitaker back. Yeah? For a, for a sequel. For another sequel. Yeah, John Turturro, it's really funny. I keep on noticing him in movies without realizing it's the same guy. Because Batman, Do the Right Thing, uh, Color Money, and there's one other movie that he's in where I was like, oh, it's that guy. Should they... Uh CGI Jackie Gleason back in uh, from The Hustler uh, as uh, Minnesota Fats in the, th- the third sequel. Be like I don't know why you're asking me this. Be like 130 years old. Let's just <laughs> let's just see if CGI him back in. He didn't he didn't have an AI clause in his in his will. <laughs> That's okay. fucked up. We're, I think we're done here. <laughs> yeah, I think we've reached the logical conclusion of this podcast. I'm sorry, I was really on one today, but uh, spring break. I don't is care. Finally here. Uh, no episode next week, but we'll be back in two weeks to talk about Creed. We'll talk oh, about Scream. Scream, does that come out next week? Yeah. Okay, we'll talk about that. Talk That's about another the Oscars. franchise I'm getting caught up on. Yeah, a lot of stuff to talk maybe about. Maybe we should just do a... Maybe we should carve out a, a big slot to record our next one and just, like, do a real blowout pod. Just, okay. Just make it long, talk about everything we missed. Um, yeah, it'll be fun. Yeah, Oscars. Yeah, the Oscars will have... Uh, concluded by the time you guys hear us next so i might be here's de- hoping depressed. the fablemans win uh best picture wow thank you max i appreciate you i don't know it's you either that or banshees that. which i would what i want to win yeah what was your because you know, decision to leave is not nominated yeah 
Yeah. And I, I had Banshees and Fablemans both in my top top five, so. Right. Okay. I see you and I appreciate you. <laughs> Still ba- haven't seen everything everywhere. Rip Babylon Hive. Yeah. yeah are you, are you going to watch everything everywhere this week before? I, I, I'll watch it. Um, I was going to watch it in theaters because I remember seeing it was going to come out. And I don't know, something got, some like wires got crossed or something because I just didn't see it that it actually was in theater. Or maybe when it was being re-released, I got COVID or something. Yeah. I don't know. They're finally doing um, Oscars pre, uh, Oscars showings um, at the Regal in Columbia. So we'll, uh, we'll at least watch Triangle of Sadness and Women Talking. Um, although I think we only might see one of those in theater because they're doing like Triangle of Sadness at like noon on a weekday. Tomorrow? So, yeah. Yeah, I have a test. We'll watch some women talk Saturday. Yeah. Aaron's coming with us, so we'll have one woman with us. <laughs> you think she'll talk? I hope not. It's a movie. <laughs> Shut up. All right. Thank you all for listening. This podcast is hosted by Noah Trainer and Max White, produced by Noah Trainer. Intro music by Bryson Carroll, logo and art by Stephen Pastis, created by Michael Sauls. Mm-hmm.